Uh, going through this series, and if you're new or just kind of joining, we're talking about how we live in an insane world. And the world is crazy, and there's all sorts of things that make it such, but we know that. We know the world is crazy, and that can mean that we feel lost, n- unsure of what to do, confused, overwhelmed, unsure about the choices we have to make or unsure about the decisions or not sure how to process all the different things around us. It can be very challenging. It can be very difficult to remain unchanged by the world. It can be difficult to remain united and clear on what God's word says and how we are to continue to stay faithful to it. We want wisdom. We want to be able to navigate through an insane world. We want to be able to remain strong in the things that we face in this life. We want to be able to face difficulty in the insane world and yet do it with joy and hope and confidence. We want to be able to remain distinct in the middle of a world that is filled with such confusion. We want to be able to remain unified together as God's people, as his church, to have joy as we live through an insane world. That, that's what we desire. I was watching a movie a couple weeks ago with my family. It's from the 60s. It's called The Longest Day. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it, it's probably, a lot of you probably have not seen it since it's older, but it's a great classic film that's all about D-Day. It's all about the landing on Normandy and the parachuting into Normandy and all the different chaotic things that are happening on that day. That's part of why it's called the longest day, because there's all of these different problems and all of these things going wrong and all of this stuff happening. And it's just, it's chaos. It's insane. It's filled with battle and gunfire and problems and planes and and all of this stuff that's just very chaotic. And at certain points in certain pockets of that day on that war, certain soldiers or generals or commanders kind of take charge in the middle of all the chaos and say, this is what we have to do. This is where we have to go. This is the objective. Yes, there's bullets flying by us. Yes, all sorts of things are going wrong. Yes, there's things that we didn't expect that were going to happen. But here's the objective. Here's what we have to do. And that is what we need. We need a field guide through an insane world. We need the confidence and the clarity to know how do we live though the world around us is insane. So there's influences coming at us. There's temptations coming at us. There's controversies coming at us. There's tension in relationships coming at us. There's difficulty in life coming at us. But we want to be able to say, I know the way. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. God is leading me. We together know the way through this. I don't have to be overwhelmed by the insanity, but can have a path through it, in it. Some of you maybe are questioning faith, whether that's from a doubt perspective, questioning or questioning, reconsidering what should I believe? Is there maybe something better within Christianity, within God's word? Some of you maybe just feel the overwhelmingness of all the influences that do come at us. Some of you have a lot of choices that you have to make. Some of you are wanting to know, how do I teach my kids? How do I help other people? How can we have a guide 
through an insane world. And there's a lot of different things that we have been talking about, a lot of different things that Paul has been beginning to walk the church in Corinth through. And, and really, though, all of this, we're into chapter 4 now. We'll finish chapter 4 today. All of these four chapters have really been about Paul talking through the different conflict and tension that's happening internally. And he's been addressing it from different angles. He's been speaking to it from different things about values and wisdom and pride and, and all of these different things. And today he's really going to conclude this four-chapter section, giving us a final thing that we need if we want to be able to navigate through the insane world. This, and all of these four chapters have, in a lot of ways, just kind of acted as intro to some of the topics that we'll get, get into starting next week. But this final thing that he gives to us is one of the core things that we need, and yet often a neglected method. When you think about navigating through an insane world, there's a lot of different things you could think that we need, and yet this thing he's going to talk about today is often neglected. It's a reason that we often miss how to navigate through an insane world. He's going to talk to us about following godly examples. So let me read the rest of this passage, and then we will discuss how examples are one of the priorities that we need in our life. Here's what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos. And if you're just jumping in, it's hard for me to kind of recap everything, but He's been talking about all these different things, and he's saying, I've been kind of applying these, using myself and Apollos as an example for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's start with this. Why do we need examples for 
the Christian life? And I think it's actually an important question to ask. Why do we need examples? And, and the reason I think that's an important question to ask is because I do believe that our culture today, and particularly in America and maybe even perhaps even more so in the western part of the states, has abandoned in many ways role models, has abandoned the idea of needing examples. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it used to be way back in the day that oftentimes uh, a son, a daughter, their, their job, particularly for sons, their job would be whatever their father did. You just followed that example and you just went into that line of work. And that's not even way, way back. That, I mean, that happened very frequently in the course of our country that we just kind of followed in the example of our parents. That was a normal thing. Whereas today, I would say the normal thing is we kind of choose something different, maybe even intentionally so at times. When I was a kid, it was very popular to talk about role models. And that happened in school. That happened with celebrities. That happened with uh, Michael Jordan. There was a whole campaign of I want to be like Mike and talking about, man, I want to be like that person. A lot of times today, celebrities will even reject that. And I'm not saying we should look to celebrities as role models. I'm just saying that that, that that ethos was in the culture of, oh, you're a prominent person, so you are someone we should look to, to emulate, to be like. A lot of times today, celebrities will even say, I'm not a role model. I'm not trying to be a role model. I'm just famous. Deal with it. Even if you think about how this has changed in our culture, again, when I was growing up, and I know I might sound like an old man, when I was growing up, we had a lot of cultural American heroes that are not even taught about or even heard about anymore. People like Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone or some of you are like, who? who? But some of those people as kids were people that were presented to us as role models. So following examples, following role models has been for a long time a big part of culture. And yet today, we don't really think about it that much. It's a lot faded away. Part of that is probably just deconstruction as a philosophy where everything is kind of re-looked at and thought through. And is that really something we should do? Is that really something we should emulate? A lot of that birthed through the, the 60s and kind of questioning everything and who can we actually trust and is authority really good and should we actually be like certain people? Now, today, if you think about it, we, we actually like bad examples, we don't like to think of anyone as a role model or example. We like to see the dirt in people's lives. That started to happen, you know, with reality TV where you're like, oh, I want to see the real thing. Don't show me this fake role model version. Show me the dirt. That's what we like now. It's the opposite. We don't want to believe that someone's an example to follow or a role model. We want to know, wow, oh, show me that you're real. And we hope that people fail. We hope that people have skeletons in their closet. We look for that. That's more what our culture prizes and values today than thinking about role models. Some of that has been because of, like I said, the 60s and deconstruction. Some of it has to do with reality TV and social media and seeing certain figures fail, seeing people, for those of you that are in the millennial age, seeing our president be impeached and seeing all these different things that start to just fade away any idea of a role model. Or an example. So when I ask this question, why do we need examples? 
I think it's an important question to ask because I do believe in our cultural ethos that we live in, there is this mentality, I don't need anybody else. I don't need any examples to follow. I don't need any role models. What do I need? I need to look inside. I need to see who I am and just follow me. I don't need to follow anybody else's example. I need to follow what I think. I need to be true to me. I don't need to conform to anything else. I don't need to have any other outside version or standard to try to strive to. I just need to be who I am, discover my purpose, walk in line with what I feel. That's how I'll know what's right. That's the storyline of so many movies and things is how are you going to know what's right in any given situation? If it was a movie 100 years ago or a story 100 years ago, oftentimes it would be you need to follow a good example. Now today it's look inside. You'll, you'll find out what's right. The answers are within you. So we have rejected any sort of role model example and we have been left with ourself. Even within Christianity, oftentimes it's just say me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else, me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else, me and Jesus. That's what I need. Now, there's a lot of reasons that we need examples for the Christian life, but here is one of them that I'm wanting to help you see. All of what I just described is actually very deceptive because the reality is you can't escape from examples. No matter how much the ethos around us doesn't prize that or value that, no matter how much we say, I'll follow myself or me and Jesus, you and I cannot escape following examples. We can't escape it. We cannot escape it. If you dig deeper, though our culture may not value and prize telling us follow examples, follow role models, the reality is we are formed constantly by the people that we follow, by the communities that we're in. We're formed by the people that we follow on social media, by the blogs or the articles or the influencers or the accounts that we listen to. We are formed by them and their example. It's actually more dangerous and more insidious if we think, I don't need any examples, I don't follow any examples, I just follow myself, and yet we're constantly exposed to tons of content all the time of people's examples and role models that are forming us into a path, but we're not even aware of it because we think, I'm just following my own self. But the people that we follow online are constantly teaching us, shaping us, saying, be like me, even if they don't say the words, be like me. They're showing us, which is why you get things like certain trends, right? Why is it that everybody can have the same jacket? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from certain people wearing that jacket and that then spreading and, and being like, man, I, I'm being really original. I thought I was the only one with a Stanley cup. I thought it was just me. And the fact that you laugh shows, oh, wait, I thought I was really cool. You're not cool. Everybody's got a Stanley. And why? How did that happen? Because I actually read an article about it. Because there's certain influencers that started kind of having Stanleys and then everybody going, there we go. Let's be like that. So we are constantly following people's role model. We are constantly following examples, whether we realize it or not. We are shaped by the community that we're a part of. We are shaped 
by the influences that come at us. We are shaped by the shows that we watch and the products that other people advertise to us. We're shaped by it constantly. I gave this example a while ago, but even uh, you can look up baby names and most popular baby names. And what's interesting is anyone that names their baby that thinks, oh, I'm choosing, you know, no one, no one, when you, we have a bunch of babies up here, right? No parent is like, what should I name my kid? You know, I want to name everybody. I want someone, everybody's naming their kid. That's what I want. Nobody thinks that. If you may think I want a good, solid biblical name or something that's kind of an ancestral name, or you might think, I want a unique name. If you're a millennial or Gen Z, I want a unique name. But the thing is, all those unique names is what everybody's naming their kids. So how did that happen? Well, because we're influenced. There's examples that are set for us, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. That's what I'm trying to help you see. Is that's what We might, as a culture, reject we don't need examples and think that's how we're living, but we're not. We're constantly following examples all the time. So here's why you need examples. Because somebody's going to fill that place. Somebody will fill the place of an example in your life. Somebody will do it. And in this passage, they have examples. And I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit because Paul's actually been addressing this all throughout the different things that we've looked at, where he's been talking about they are following the examples of these certain influencers and teachers within the church. When he says this, back in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and costly stones, that one's work will become obvious. He's talking about the different, and I can't, you know, re-preach that sermon, but he's talking about the different teachers and influences that they have, and he's saying, but some of them are not building in a good way. They're building on top of the foundation in a way that isn't what I laid. And when you go to 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And this anyone, he's not just kind of talking hypothetically. There are particular people that are doing things in the church that is leading to destruction. They are teaching, influencing, and Paul has been talking about this all along. And then when he gets to this passage that we just read, now some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. And I will come and find out the power of those who are arrogant. So there are these influencers and teachers that are setting examples, giving teaching, and shaping the church. They have examples that are present. And those examples that they have feel good to them, the people that are receiving it. It feels attractive. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant. Who makes you so superior? What that's saying is this. They're following these examples, and as they follow them, what's happening? They're growing in arrogance. What's happening? They feel superior to the other people in the church. So we do have examples. They had examples that they are following, and when they follow those examples, they're starting to feel superior. It's not that we just look at these examples that are happening and go, that's a bad example, it actually often has the effect of feeling better than other people, feeling superior to other people. It creeps in, gets inside of us, and we actually feel, I'm better. So here's just a beginning question. Are you aware of the influences shaping you? Are you aware of the examples that you are following? We all are following examples, every one of us. Are you aware of them? 
if you're not, it's even more dangerous because somebody will be that example for you. Somebody will be that example to you. If you don't know who it is, if you don't know who you're following, it's likely that it can be an example that starts to shape you in such a way that leads you away from what God has. That's what was happening to them. They have these examples that are creating arrogance in them, that's creating superiority in them, and that's leading them. Paul is trying to say to them, I am the example for you to follow. Paul's trying to say to them, I am writing these things to you so you can see my life as an example, but you're walking away and following these other examples, and ultimately you're walking away from God and not following who he is. That's why Paul says that one of the things that he writes is that they would not go beyond what is written. He says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so you would learn not to go beyond what is written. And Paul's been quoting multiple times from the Old Testament, from the scriptures, and he's saying, I don't want you to go beyond the Bible. I don't want you to go beyond the Bible. But they're beginning to follow these examples leading to arrogance and superiority, but also it goes beyond what God has given. It goes beyond the Bible. You have to ask this question. The examples that you're following, are they leading you deeper into God's word? To love God's word? To treasure God's word? To want to be faithful and obey God's word? To say, this is my life. This is what I will live my life. Is that the examples you're following? Are they leading you to a greater appreciation and faithfulness and conformity to God's word? Or are they leading you beyond what is written into extra things and to focus on this thing and focus on that thing and, and it's actually leading to an arrogance and a superiority and people don't get it and people don't understand and, or is it leading you to be more and more shaped with, man, I, I love God's word. I'm spending time in God's word. My life is directed by God's word. Paul says, you will have examples. You have them, but they're leading you away. They're leading you away from me, Paul would say. They're leading you away from the Bible. They're leading you ultimately away from God, which is why, and I don't know if you, I didn't highlight it when I went through. I will now, which is why he mocks them and the teaching that they're following. He mocks it. So I don't know if you picked up, but this is all sarcasm. He's not saying, he's not actually praising them. He's being sarcastic and mocking them. You're already full. Oh yeah, you don't need anybody else to tell you anything. You're already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings. Saying, yeah, okay, you've already arrived. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. You've already got it. You are, I mean, when he says, you are wise in Christ, we're fools. Okay, sure. Yeah, you are the ones that are wise. You're already strong. You are distinguished. He's mocking the trajectory that they're on, which might feel unholy to you, but it is a sanctified sarcasm because mocking is actually really helpful. So I'm going to spend 10 minutes mocking all of you. I'm just going to go row by row. No, I'm just joking. Mock, that would be fun, wouldn't it? For me, no. It's actually really helpful because he's saying the path, you, you think you've arrived. You think, and he's, he has to kind of 
in a loving way, put them in their place to help them see, no, you guys, you've actually lost it. You think you don't need the examples in your life, but you're following these other examples and it's leading you in a really bad track and it's dangerous. That's why he says, I'm not writing this to shame you. He's, he is mocking them, but he's saying, I'm not trying to hurt you. That's not, that's not my goal. My goal isn't just to say, you're stupid, the end. My goal is to warn you because I love you. And sometimes when done right, that is how mocking works. We shouldn't mock people to hurt them and shame them. But there can be a holy way to mock something so ridiculous to warn people where you're going is destruction. And that's what Paul is doing here. Saying you are following a path. You are following examples. And you might not even realize it. And it's puffing you up and it's making you superior and it's making you think that you've arrived and you're rich and you're kings and you're better. You, you think you're going the right way with all of these people leading you that way. But you've gone beyond the Bible. You've gone beyond what I've brought to you. You've gone beyond God. And it's dangerous. So why do we need examples for the Christian life? Because you will have examples. We all do. You will have examples. In the things that you face in life that are hard for you, you have examples of how to face them. And the things that you desire out of life, you have examples on what the good life is and how to acquire it. And the wisdom that you seek for various decisions, you have examples that you look to. Who are they? Do you know who they are? And then let me ask you these questions. The examples you follow, where is it leading you? Where is it leading you? Is it leading you to love God more and love other people more and be more committed to his word? Is it leading you to arrogance, self-righteousness? Is it leading to disunity, tension in relationships, disharmony? Where is it leading you? What is it creating? What's the effect? Here's the example I'm following. Okay, where is it taking you? What life is it creating? Is it creating a life of deeper joy and forgiveness and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness to God? Is that where it's leading you? Or is it leading you to something dark, leading you to anger, leading you to bitterness, leading you to broken relationships? Where is it leading you? God doesn't just give us teaching in general, doesn't just give us facts and beliefs, but wants to give us a whole way of life. God invites us into a whole way of being and living. That's what he gives to us, a whole way of life and wants to help form us and shape us towards that. That's God's desire for you. This is why we need examples, because we will have them. And so we need to know who it is, which leads to the next question. What kind of examples do we need for the Christian life? What kind of examples? You will not make it through your life. You will not have wisdom. You will not know what to do. You will not be able to navigate through an insane world without examples, okay? But... What kind do you need? Without examples, we don't know what to do. That's true in every area of life. You ever been to a wedding and um, they start doing the electric slide? And if you don't know how to do the electric slide, what do you do? You just jump in line. Well, you either just sit there and just watch people and mock them. Or 
you get in the line and you just kind of do what they're doing, right? I still don't have the moves down, but I can stand there and I can sort of kick and turn and, and you just kind of follow the example of what the other people are doing. I remember when I was, uh, I think, 16, and it was, I think, only the second time I'd ever flown on a plane. I was by myself, and I don't really think they do this anymore, uh, but they bumped me to first class. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't even know this existed. They normally, you know, shut the curtain, and you can't even see what's up there. And there was, like, gold things and chocolate fountains, and there was, it was, it was crazy. There was just, what can I get you? And and uh, I remember when they brought the meal, which they don't give you in the peasant class, but they, they're like, here's your pretzels, here's your dinner. You know, they, they brought a meal out, and, and there was caviar. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was. It was just a bunch of little balls. And I'm like, what is this? Are these marbles? Is this the game where I'm supposed to play? And I was looking at the guy next to me, and he was eating this, and I, was, I just kind of did what he did. And then they brought, then this lady walked by with a, a basket of towels and handed it to each of us. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this towel? And I just kind of watched him. And whatever he did, I did. And if, if he hadn't been there, if I hadn't been able to follow his example, I don't, I mean, I, I'd just start bathing. And I, I mean, I don't know what I would have done, you know. Like, what do I do with this towel? I've never had a towel in an airplane before. And we need examples to make it through, but you need the right ones. You need the right ones. If you get a bad example, your life goes off, right? And some of us, that may have been the case with some of our parents, that they weren't a good example, and it kind of misshaped how we parent or how we live our life, and we're trying to correct that. Or we saw an example in their marriage, and we're trying to correct that in our marriage. Sometimes that, if you get the bad example, it leads you, astray. So what kind of example do we need? We need, like we look for in any realm, you need a successful example. That's what you need, right? You don't want to listen to the fitness coach that is morbidly obese. You don't want to listen to the career coach that's unemployed, right? You want to follow the example of someone that has achieved success in their realm. You want to look at parents that know what they're doing, and people that hand, man, manage their money well, and people that are joyful, and fitness, and all those things, that, that's what you want to look at. So for the Christian life, it's the same thing. You need a successful example of the Christian life. But what is that? What is the successful example of the Christian life? Well, I might think, well, that's someone that is really honored, maybe someone that's gotten a lot of influence, maybe someone that even just says about their life, man, I'm really blessed, and it seems like everything in their life is totally good and totally working perfect. Maybe someone that has a great reputation or a lot of people following them online or otherwise, and it looks like that's the successful Christian life. Paul says, no, the picture of the successful Christian life is different than that. Paul says, here's what the example of the successful Christian life looks like. He says, we, the apostles, are like men condemned to die. We are hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed. We're roughly treated. We're homeless. We labor. We're working. We bless even when we're persecuted. We endure. 
We respond graciously when we're slandered. We're like the scum of the earth. Paul says, here's the example that we are setting for you. Which, ultimately, that example is of Jesus, which is why Paul says, imitate me and my ways in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, I'm the example, but really, the example of my life is just the ways of Jesus. So, when Paul presents... What is the example that we should look at? What is the example that we should follow? He's saying, look at him, but he's saying, look at Jesus. These are my ways in Jesus. All of these things is how Jesus lived his life. For us. Jesus was a man condemned to die. For us. Jesus was one that lived hungry and thirsty. Multiple points in his life, you can see that whether it's in his fast, being willing to go hungry and thirsty to bring us ultimate food and water. And Jesus was one poorly clothed. He wasn't, didn't come as a rich man. He left all of his riches in heaven to come to us. Naked as a baby into this world, he entered. He was roughly treated for us. Jesus didn't enter into life and just live the blessed Christian life and everything went well for him. He was roughly treated for us. He left his perfect home in heaven to enter homelessness for us. He labored and worked both before his ministry and in his ministry, constantly working for us. Jesus was one that was reviled, that people mocked him and ridiculed him and hated him, and he blessed them on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In the moment that they're most reviling him, he blesses, thinks of others. He's persecuted and didn't run from that, but endured it. Jesus, Hebrews says, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He's persecuted and doesn't give up. He says, I will endure for you, for your sake. He was slandered. Who do you think you are? You think you're God? Come down from that cross. You don't even know who your mom is. You're from the devil. He was slandered continually. And what did he do? He responded graciously. He responded in grace to his enemies, which is why the book of Romans can say that while we were still enemies, God died for us. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. That's how Jesus was treated, like the scum of the earth. The crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. Jesus was treated like the scum of the earth. He was treated like garbage. Why? So that we could experience him as our ultimate treasure. All of these things, this is how Jesus lived his life. These are the ways of Christ. And he did these things, not just so that we would look at them and go, wow, that's really cool. He did them for us on our behalf. He was mistreated so that we could experience God's favor. He was treated like garbage so we could become God's treasure. He was reviled so that we could be blessed. The unrighteous for the righteous. The righteous for the unrighteous, excuse me, Peter says. The righteous for the unrighteous in our place. He received all that we deserve, so he may give us all that he deserved. That is how Jesus lived 
his life. And Paul says, imitate me. Paul says, I'm trying to follow. And later in Corinthians, he'll even be more explicit where he says, I'm following Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, follow me. Paul says, imitate that way of life. Imitate me, Paul says. These are the ways of Christ. Imitate me. That's the example that we need. Let me ask you, is that your goal in life? It's a convicting passage to read through and go, is that the example that I'm wanting to follow? Or am I looking for the example of the the super successful and the person where everything in their life seems to be going good? Or am I looking for a greater example and how to respond graciously when I'm slandered? Am I looking for a greater example on how to more give my life away for the benefit of others? Am I looking for an example of joyful endurance in the middle of persecution? Am I looking for an example of how to bless my enemies or how to have power and defeat my enemies? What kind of example am I looking for? Am I looking for examples that will just get me to the greatest comfort and the greatest security and the greatest the greatest relational peace without any drama or the greatest places of authority? Or am I looking for the examples of how to give my life away to love, bless, serve, forgive, be gracious, be generous? That's the example that he holds out to us. And we can ignore it. Want something? I, I want to follow an example, but not that one. I don't know where that's going to lead me. To the cross. I want a better example than that. Show me the person that was able to live their best life. I'll follow that example. Not the person that lost their life. This is the example that we need. This is the life that we need. In fact, Paul ends this section talking about that he is going to come and find out these arrogant people, these arrogant influencers and examples, I'm going to come and find out not the talk, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So Paul is saying, I'm going to come investigate and see these other influencers, these other teachers, these other people, these other examples that you have. What is their way of life? What is their talk? What is it leading to? Is it leading to power? Now, power, he's not talking about positions of authority, but he's talking about, is it having the effect in life that leads to the fruitfulness that God intends? Does it have a power to change people's lives, their message? Or is it just talk? Is it just teaching? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. God's kingdom, what God can do in your life, is powerful can change all sorts of areas, can bring deep joy and deep peace and deep relational unity and deep affection for God and deep love for people around you. The the kingdom of God is a matter of power that transforms lives. That's what the kingdom of God is, which the kind of example we need is the way of Jesus because that is the life that actually leads to power, to change. It might seem weak. It might seem like we're losing. But the way of Jesus brings life. It brings power. It brings change. That's what he wants to give to us. 
That's what he wants to invite us into experience. When Jesus says, come and learn my ways, come and follow my example, he's not inviting you into something weak. He's inviting you to experience his power, the true power. So final question is this. How do we receive the examples that we need for the Christian life? It is needed. We will have examples one way or another. It's dangerous if we don't recognize them. There is a specific kind of example that we need in seeing the life of Jesus. And the only way to be able to navigate through this world is with good Christian examples. So how do we actually use them, activate them, receive them? What's the way to use this tool of examples in our life? So think about areas in your life. Your marriage, your family, walking through pain in your life, experiencing difficulty, your career, your emotional health, just Christian maturity in general. Think about areas in your life. How do you use the examples that God wants to give to you? How do you use this great tool of examples that he says we need? There's a few ways that we can see in this text that I want to show you. And I hope this can be really practical for you. The first thing is that we need many examples. Paul says God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. So he's talking about all of the apostles. And then when he goes through that list of the hungry and the thirsty and the slandered. He's not just talking about himself. He says, we are hungry, thirsty. We are slandered. We are, and he's talking about the apostles. We need many different examples, not just a guru that we say, okay, I'm following that person. They're the one that I'm modeling my whole life after, but we need many examples in our life. And the most specific application of this is actually for us to follow the examples of the apostles, which we get by reading the Bible. We open the Bible, we look at their life, and we say, how did they live, and who were they, and what did they teach? And so ultimately, we do need many examples, but we, one of the ways we apply exactly what he is saying is by looking at the lives of the apostles. But we can also follow the examples of many different people that are following the example of the apostles. It's one of the reasons that I enjoy reading biographies. Christians, faithful saints that have come before us, that, have, that are dead. I like to read about dead people because alive people, sometimes you wait a couple years and you're like, oh, I guess there was actually some bad things going on. So don't read someone's biography till they're dead. Until then, it's just like the prequel and, you know, the sequel might be really bad. It's like Darth Vader. If you read it when he was a little kid, you're like, well, this is a great biography. And then, but if you read the whole thing, then it's good, right? You've got to wait till they're dead. It's just a bonus tip. <clears throat> if there's someone you like and you think that their life is good, ask them when they're going to die. <clears throat> uh, we need many examples. We need many examples. And it is really helpful to not just read good Christian material that helps you. Here's a book on marriage, or here's a book on anxiety, or here's a book. But to actually read the lives of faithful saints and to learn, how did they walk with God? We need many different examples. It's also helpful to be in a community with other people. So, of living people. I'm not saying all examples have to be dead, right? 
it's helpful to look at the lives in community and say, this person's life is following Jesus. I want my marriage to be like that. I want my family to be like that. I want to be able to handle difficulty and pain like that. I want to be able to honor God in my work like that. And to look at the examples around us and very practically talk to people and ask them questions. Say, can you, I really like the way that you do this. I, it seems like you are walking with Jesus in this area. How? What's led you to that? What's influenced you? Help me to ask questions. You will learn not just by reading books, but by observing examples and asking questions. And I would strongly urge you to think about areas in your life where you know you want to grow and see if there might be someone within our church or near you that's a good, godly Jesus example and get coffee with them, get lunch with them, get 10 minutes with them and just ask some questions. We need many examples. But we also need to prioritize the examples that we follow. Paul says, you have many, you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. So imitate me. He says, you've got lots of different people. And he's not saying that this, these are bad or that there's anything wrong with them. They're instructors in Christ. You have countless instructors in Christ. Lots of people helping you. Lots of people giving you good information. Thousands of instructors in Christ. But you only have not many fathers. You don't have many fathers. I became your father, so imitate me. So he's saying, yes, we can learn from other people. Yes, we can be influenced by people, but we should prioritize the fathers that God has given us. Now, Paul is not literally their biological father, but if you have a good godly father in your life, you should prioritize them. But you should also prioritize the people that God has given to you that function as fathers. The people that have helped you know who Jesus is. That's what Paul means when he calls himself their father. He planted the church and first brought them the gospel. So he is their spiritual father in that sense. And he is saying you should prioritize that. God, in his providence, gives us fathers. And we should prioritize who God has given to us. It doesn't mean that you have to see every single part of every aspect of their life or be in their home. That's why he says, I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy to you. So I want you to be like me. That's why Timothy's coming to you. What? I want you to walk like me and do what I do. So here's Timothy. That kind of seems weird, but it's because Paul has invested in Timothy, and Timothy's walking and is a dearly loved and faithful child, and so you can learn how to follow the father Paul by looking at the son Timothy because he's following the father Paul. This is sometimes how it works, that God gives us leaders that influence other leaders that then influence other leaders that then we can experience their influence directly or indirectly. But the principle here is that we should prioritize the people that God has put in place, the leaders he's put in place in our life. Sometimes it's easy to look out, especially in our day. But they were doing the same thing. They were looking at countless instructors. But it's easy, as we have tons of access to great teaching online, to great 
podcasts and great influencers and great, and yet miss, in God's providence, he's given you people here. Who are the leaders that God's given you here that you can learn from their ways? Are you using that means of grace? It's one of the key things that God gives to us. And then, third, we are to receive both the gentle and the firm from the examples. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Paul says, my goal is not to hurt, right? We looked at that. My goal is not to hurt. But the fact that he says that means he knows what he has spoken is tough words. He's mocked. He's corrected them. He even says, should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Should I come to you with a rod? That doesn't mean that that would be bad. The rod would still be loving. Or should I come to you in a way that's more affectionate? Which one do you want? But Paul's saying both are at my disposal. I may have to use both. He's kind of displayed a little bit of rottiness in this chapter. He says, I can do that. Or I can come with more gentle, affectionate, soft touch. But the reality is we need both of those. We need both of those. We need both the gentle and the firm. We need both the rod and the loving spirit. We need both of those things or we'll never fully be able to experience what God has for us. Soft words make soft people. Many people have said that. And that is true. We need the rod and we need the gentle. We need the mockery and we need the encouragement. My daughter plays volleyball and uh, one of the teams... And I hope nobody, I don't think anybody in here is on that team. So uh, one of the teams they play, I won't say where. One of the, my, so my daughter's volleyball coach is great. She is super encouraging. She offers gentle affirmation. And she also is like, girls, come on, get it together. And offers the rod. Offers the rebuke. What are you doing? Stop. Get out of there. Get off the court. Sit down. Sub. I love it. They play this other team that sucks so bad. And I can say that with absolute confidence. They are terrible. And I was watching, this is back in the fall, I was watching the coach of that team. These girls are so awful. And if I was from the South, I'd say, God bless their hearts, right? <laughs> They're so awful. And the coach Everything they do, they serve the ball, it hits the ceiling, bounces off, hits an old guy in the head, knocks him out, and the coach, I made that part up, but the, but the coach just goes, yeah, good job, ladies, good job, girls, good job, every single thing they do. Like, this is why your team sucks. And that's, I'm not trying to be mean, it's just true. Because she only thinks that the way to help someone is the spirit of gentleness. And she's wrong. That's true with volleyball, and it's true spiritually. We need, I'm not saying we need to be jerks, but we need both of these things in our lives. We need both of these things in our life. Not mean. Paul's not being mean. But he is having a firmer touch and a softer touch. And he's aware of that. He knows what he's doing. He's not flying off the handle. That's why he says, I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. 
So it's not that Paul like loses his temper and then is just like, no, come here, come here. He's, he, he's intentionally using a firm touch and a gentle touch. We need both. And the examples that you follow, you need both. And then final thing of how we receive these examples. Paul, Paul's talking about his example, right? At the very beginning and then the conclusion, I've applied these things to myself. I urge you to imitate me. He's talking about himself as and Paulos and the other apostles as these examples to follow. But he also, in both of these parts, shows that there's a key thing that gets in the way, which is pride. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant. I'm setting this example. I don't want any of you to be arrogant. And then he asks them this question, what do you have that you didn't receive? And then at the end, again, some of you are arrogant. This pride, this arrogance, is one of the key things that gets in the way of following examples that God gives to us, which is true for all of us. One of the key things that will get in the way of following the examples that God has given to you is our own pride. And what kills that is being able to answer this question correctly. What do I have that I didn't receive? That's what will kill pride. Hasn't God given me everything? That puts you in a place of humility. When you look at your life, and you look at all the good gifts and all the things, if you are able to answer this question, what do you have that you didn't receive? It puts you in a place of humility. God's given everything to me. Everything I have is a gift from God. That helps us to more accurately know our condition. It helps us to more accurately know our need. And it helps us to more accurately know God's heart to us, that God is gracious, he's a giver, he blesses us. And the more that we see that and know that, we're humble. And when we're humble, then we continually receive the good things that God wants to give to us. We see, okay, God, everything I have is a gift, and I want to keep receiving your gifts, including the examples that you give to me. Pride will keep you from receiving the examples that you need. Humility enables you to receive. And the way that you become humble is by remembering everything I have is a gift. All the good blessings in my life and my salvation, ultimately. So here's what this means. Be good examples to those around you, your community group, in our church. And follow good examples. Learn from them. Become an example. Like World War II and the longest day, there is all sorts of chaos around us all the time. And we need a guide to be able to get through it. And one of the ways that God helps us get through all the chaos, all the insanity, one of the ways is by giving us examples. God knows it's hard. He knows that it's challenging. And so he gives us real flesh and bone examples to help us walk through it. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It is, but it's not just that. It's a whole way of life that God wants to give to you for you to be able to experience. When we take communion, which we will do in just a moment, if you're a Christian and you didn't grab a cup on the way in, you can grab those in the back. Communion is a time that we remember two things. We remember the example of Jesus, the life that he lived, 
of freely giving, of graciousness, blessing when slandered. We remember his example and say, Jesus, help me to be like you. But it isn't just an example that Jesus is. He's so much more than an example. If Jesus was only an example, you would be crushed. If Jesus was just an example and the Christian life was just be like Jesus, we would be crushed. Jesus is the best and the perfect example. Let's try to live our life following him. But he's a savior. More than an example. He is the savior that saves us when we always fail to live up to his example. He is the savior whose life was poured out for enemies, not fellow people trying to be good examples. He is the Savior who said, my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you so that you are cleansed and made new of all the sins that keep you from ever attaining the example that he has set. He is a beautiful example, but he is a much more beautiful Savior. You need Jesus as your example. He shows us the, the way of life. But we need Jesus as our Savior, or we have no life. We have only death. So as you take communion, remember his example and say, Lord, shape my life. I want to walk with you. But also say, thank you. Forgive me. You are worthy. You are Savior. You are good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you show us the way of life. Help us as a church to follow your example, to imitate Paul, to imitate the other examples that you've given to us, to ultimately imitate you. Lord, help us to walk like you. May that be true in our church. May, may we be more and more like you. Lord, even as we have these parents up here doing the dedications God, we want to set good examples for our kids. We want to set good examples for one another. Help us. Shape us. But Jesus, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you are our Savior that rescues us from death. Thank you, Jesus. May our hearts be full of worship and gratitude. And let that overflow into wanting to obey. In your name, Jesus. Amen.